0: listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. All right, morning everyone. It's great to be here again to share the Word of God with you this morning. And um, it is my prayer that the Lord really speaks to you this morning through this message. Okay. We've already prayed. The usual thing I do is my routine as I pray before I start, but we've already prayed, so that's great. Let's just get straight to this message then. Um, this morning I'll be sharing from the book of Luke, and it's. I heard that you followed a series on, um, on on the book of Luke. And obviously it is uh, a passage about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we've heard this message probably many times The passage was read this morning, but before we read that passage, I just want to start by putting a bit, getting a bit of background really, okay, a bit of background into it. So we want to start, I want to look at chapter 18, where he was before he went through Jericho and then he entered into Jerusalem. I want to look at chapter 18 first and then we'll come to chapter 19 when he entered Jerusalem. And what happened and what that means for us. What that means for us. So, let's start with some background really. Okay? So before Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, in the previous chapter, we saw how he spends time with his disciples. Why? Because he knew that when he goes to Jerusalem, what laid ahead was the cross. Okay? And he only had, he didn't have long to spend with his disciples. So it was like a week to when he was going to be crucified, really. Or a few days to when he was going to be crucified. So basically, he was spending as much time with them as possible. During that time, what did he do? He taught them different parables, okay? And the importance of those parables. So he talked to them about the the importance of praying without ceasing. Keep praying, and the parable he used was the parable of the persistent widow who needed justice and went to the judge many times to get that justice. And he used it as an example of how Christians, we believers should persist, you know, in prayer. Not to say that we obviously knock on heaven's door and the things that the Lord does not will, we, we, we keep knocking hoping that he will change his mind. That will not happen. But there is this, you know this teaching or this understanding of a healthy way of understanding the importance of praying and persevering and persistent, and that was what he was teaching his disciples. He then went on and he talked about the parable of the dangers of being proud or self-righteous or looking down on people, right by sharing the parable about the Pharisee who was in the temple and the tax collector. And how the Pharisee thought to himself, I'm a righteous man, I do all of these things, I fast. And he was looking down on the tax collector. And Jesus shared this so that they would understand the importance of self-righteousness, like not being self-righteous. And also the importance of humility when you come before the Lord. He shared that to teach them. He also went on and he talked about the temptation of riches, wealth and riches. When the rich young ruler came to him and he couldn't give up that which the Lord said he should give up. And he told them that it is difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom. Not to say that it is impossible because he said with God all things are possible as he said that. So he was teaching them the temptation that comes with wealth and riches. In the midst of it all Jesus reminded them again. He's he's already said this in the past, but he reminded them again, and he said to his disciples that when he gets to Jerusalem, he'll be arrested, he'll be beaten, he'll be spat upon, and he would be crucified. He reminded them. Why did he do that? He was telling them this beforehand to ensure that they were somewhat prepared, both mentally and emotionally, for what was ahead, what was going to come. But not only that, it was a way of letting them know that regardless of the pain and the experience, it was all part of God's plan. So he was telling them beforehand, this was going to happen. So when it happens, do not be caught unawares because I told you it was going to happen. And hence, if it happens, then that means it's all part of God's plan. There's a meaning, there's there's, there's something, a significance to it. Well, as Jesus continued walking, they went through Jericho. What happened in Jericho? As they were walking past Jericho, they saw a blind man, a blind man sitting there. He heard about the commotion and how people were shouting and the multitudes walking, passing by with Jesus. And he asked, what was this happening? And they told him that Jesus was passing by. And he shouted, he shouted, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And they said, people who were there rebuked them. Keep quiet. Why are you making all this noise? But the Bible says he shouted the more, yes. the more have mercy on me. And Jesus turned, called him. He came and he healed him. The point is this, Jesus had already spoken about his death. How many of us? Knowing that this was ahead of you would not would take your mind off that and and go and help someone who was shouting. But it goes to show his heart, yeah. his heart, his nature, the compassion he has for people. That's the risen Lord we serve. He's a merciful yes. and loving Savior. When he was walking through Jericho making his way to Jerusalem, he met another man, Zacchaeus, on a tree. <sighs> the Bible says that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. Okay, so he was one of the top guys who exacted, like, they used intimidation, violence, to get taxed, taxes from people and his own people. And not only that, they took a lot from them. More than what was required. And that was what made him a very rich man. And when we talk about tax collectors those days, when you read some of the commentaries, it says that these men were obviously hated by um, the, the people, their friends or their, their neighbors, the other Jewish people. So they were targets and they had guards with them. They had armed men with them. That was the way they went to get the taxes from others. So this was a man who was, and he was a notorious man. And he was on the tree, waiting for Jesus to pass by. And when Jesus came, Jesus looked past all of that, all of that, and told him to come down. Went in, had a meal with him. But just before Jesus would leave, Zacchaeus said to him, this shows that he was a transformed man when he came to Jesus. Zacchaeus said to him, that if I've defrauded anyone, if I've taken anything from anyone, I will repay fourfold, fourfold. That's really important. That shows that this man's heart was transformed. It was melted. And if you are going to pay back people fourfolds, that means that you're willing to give it all up just to follow Christ. But what I want to point out is this. The rich young ruler... Wasn't willing to give it up. Here's Zacchaeus. One who's known as a notorious man. Who does all of these things. And he was just willing to give it all up. Just for the sake of following Christ. It's amazing. This man's heart was melted. Transformed. After that, they made their way to Jerusalem. And this is where the passage is. Luke 19 twenty eight to forty Luke nineteen, twenty eight to forty. It reads. You can read out there. This is the ESV version. It reads. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you. Where on entering you would find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who went, went away and found it just as he he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to them, said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So I know that this is a passage that we've read many times before. If you've been a Christian for many years, you've read it many times, you know, on Palm Sunday. And we know the historical context to it. We know some of the prophecies that are related to it. So today I just want to spend some time talking about some three points that really stood out to me and some of the points that we can use, right? And apply to our lives this morning. Okay. So one, point one from this passage we read. When I was reading it, what stood out to me was God will provide God's provision. That was was what stood out to me. See, when you read the passage, you find out that as Jesus was entering, God had prepared a donkey ready for him. It wasn't the first time that that happened. It wasn't the first time it happened. You read Matthew as well in Matthew 17, 27, and we see how Jesus and Peter needed to pay taxes. They needed to pay taxes. And Jesus said to Peter, go, cast a hook into the sea, right? And then if a fish comes up, the first one that you get, open its mouth and you'll find a shekel in there. Use it to pay the taxes. We jump on forward as well and we go to just before the Passover or the day of the Passover. And this was what happened, Luke 22, 7 um, to 13. And it says this, Then came the day of unliving bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus went, so Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Random. (laughs) A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. That's just random. How many people will be carrying water those days? But he knew it. We'll meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished Prepare, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he has said to them. And they prepared the Passover. It wasn't the first time that happened. The point I'm trying to make is this. You find some people who would read this passage and say that it was pre-planned. No, when you look at other examples of some of these things that God did in terms of providing, it wasn't pre-planned. This wasn't pre-planned, that Jesus would go and he's already had a conversation with the, uh, with the owner of the donkey and said to him that when my disciples come to you, the password is, the Lord needs it, then you know it's me. No, because in other examples, you would see that the Lord provided. He knew what was ahead and he provided. The point I'm making is this, God is a provider. He's a provider. God provided a lamb for himself when Abraham, he told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. He provided it. And that obviously points to Jesus, right? God provided a way for the Israelites through the Red Sea, where there seemed to be no way. He did it. They didn't know. He did. God sent his angels to defeat the Assyrian army when they were besieged in the city during the time of Hezekiah. He didn't. God sent his angel to rescue Peter from prison when he was arrested. The point I'm making is God is a provider. He intervenes for his, during the right time and for his purposes. When he wants to do something in your life at the, at the right time, regardless of what door is closed, that door would open. It will open. The owner of the donkey didn't even have a conversation with him, but when they said the Lord, the master needs it, the Lord needs it, automatically he had to act in accordance to the will of the Lord. When the master of the, the house that they had the Passover in, heard that the master needs it, the Lord needs this place, he had to act in accordance to the will of God. The point I'm making is this. If God can provide a donkey to fulfill a, a prophecy, if He can provide a coin in the fish, in the mouth of a fish to pay taxes and to keep the tax collectors quiet, if He can provide a room for a meal, then surely He can provide also for your needs. He can. That's the reason why, as a confirmation, <coughs> that this is the right message. That's the reason why Jesus said, do not be anxious about anything. I've already written this and you shared this, it this morning. Do not be anxious about anything. That's the reason why Peter also said, do not be anxious about anything. That's the reason why Paul also says, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. He is in charge. He knows your needs. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. And church, this is not a prosperity gospel. We don't believe in that. That isn't the gospel at all. But there is the truth that God is a provider. He's a provider. I just want to share a quick testimony with you this morning about God's provision. You see, before God calls you, or before he takes you to a place in terms of uh, maturing or growing in faith, he takes you through a journey, experience different, different experience to sort of anchor your faith. Right? We all know that. One of them was when I finished my first degree. You know, I had high hopes. I finished. I had a two-one. I thought, great. You know, let me get a job straight away. I thought that's it. No more studying. No more reading, writing. Um, you know, assignments and all of that. I just wanted a job. One month, two months, and I thought, Lord, what's happening here? What's happening here? Nothing. All those were closed. Some of the the jobs that I even had before I had my degree, when I went back to them, they even had, they, they had a position going. When I went back to them, they told me, no, that's with a degree now. So I think to myself, Lord, what's going on here? So I sat and I was frustrated. And I remember I went to church one Sunday, and during the service, can you imagine the pastor was about to preach, and he was so moved by the Spirit, he didn't preach. He started, we started worshiping, and he said that the Lord wants to assure some people here. You feel that he has abandoned you, you feel that he's not hearing your prayers, but he, he is here for you, he has a plan for you, he will answer you. If you feel that way, come forward. Almost the whole church came forward, you know, and I was one of them. I was one of them. And I, I, I received prayer that day. Well, that afternoon I went home, not, not my home, I went to my mom's house, you know, afternoon lunch, Sunday afternoon lunch. At my mom's house it was great. Um, had a meal there. Went upstairs, got up to the computer, just thought, okay, let me just look around, you know, Facebook or something. And as I was on there, a clear thought came to me. So clear. I knew it wasn't my thought. It was in the form of a question. If you have applied for jobs and it's not working, why not not do your master's? And I had said to my... How do I know that it wasn't my thought? Because I said, no, I'm not going to do it. Okay? It wasn't part of my plans. I just wanted to work. Why not do your master's? So I thought, okay, let's see what happens. My interest at that time was in... um, international development, especially poverty reduction. That was what my interest really was in. And so I typed in into Google. I didn't know this. I typed it in into Google, randomly, just like what happened to you, randomly, right? Poverty Reduction Postgraduate Course. That was what I typed in. The first course that came up, Poverty Reduction and Development Management. I clicked on it, I read about it, I thought to myself, I want to study again, you know, I, I want to do this again, but I looked at it, the course started in, it starts in September, we're in August, alright, did they have any place three weeks before the course would start, I had to write to them, I said to the Lord, Lord, if this is what you would have me do, I like it, if this is what you would have me do, please help me. So I wrote to them and I said, I expressed my interest in it. I sent it to them. And they wrote back a few days later saying that, okay, we only have one place available. One place available. And it's to do with the poverty reduction and development management. Would you like to accept that? One place for me. That wasn't only it. I said, yes, please. Let's do it. But now it was the money. And if you've been a student who hasn't got a rich parent or something like that, you know that you'd probably be in your overdraft, right? That was what it was for me. And the cost was 8,000-something pounds. Where was I going to get this money from? A week later, that was settled. Within a matter of two weeks, two weeks, everything was done for me to start this course there was one place available for me. For me. The point I'm making is this. I just want to encourage someone here. He's a God who provides according to his purposes. Whatever he is determined to do, if you are in line with his will, if you desire something in accordance to his will, he will provide. If he can provide a, a donkey to fulfill a prophecy, A coin and the mouth of a fish to pay taxes. A room just to have a meal. He's not forgotten about you. He can provide. Put your confidence and your trust in him. Do not be anxious. Trust in the Lord. I want to move on to the next one but I just want to mention this real quick. You see when you look at the context of this, all these three examples I gave you, right? All these three examples I gave you. Again, to confirm what you said. These three examples I gave you, it required someone to be bold and courageous. Someone to step out in faith. Can you imagine being told, go and ask that, that man there to give you his car keys because the Lord needs it. That was what it was like. They used donkeys those days, not just for work, but actually genuine as well. Can you, and unless related to the spiritual walk, can you imagine being on the bus and the Holy Spirit tells you, speak to that lady there. How many people have had that experience? How many people actually followed through with it? Uh, a few. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it's like. Someone needed to do it. Peter was in this place and he was sent to go and ask for this room, for this Passover. Peter was told to go and cast a, a hook and get a get fish and get the shekel out of there. I was like, Lord, this does not make sense. Will it happen? But he went to do it anyway. We don't know who was asked to go, but I'm probably sure that it was Peter who was asked to go and get the, the donkey. And the owner was there. I mean, how many people would do that? But the truth is this God is a provider, but sometimes, sometimes the process of his provision requires us to be bold, to have faith, to be courageous, to step out in faith. So I just want to encourage you this morning if you have that prompting within you to do, I'm not saying that obviously you do, because you have some people there. They feel the Lord is speaking to them all the time. And whatever they feel they have heard, they'll go out and do it. That's the what I'm saying. Obviously, you weigh it up. But there's that place of being courageous, being bold, and stepping out in faith. To see the Lord do great and awesome things. Not just in your life, but also in the life of other people as well. Be encouraged this morning. Second point. God is faithful. God is faithful. What do I mean? When you read this, Zechariah prophesied about this 500 years earlier in Zechariah 9.9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. That's talking about the, uh, the people of Israel. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fold of a donkey. Paul said, do not despise prophecy. Peter said, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the spirit. And God spoke to Isaiah saying to him, that this, sorry, God spoke through Zechariah so that he could prophesy this and write this down 500 years before it actually happened. The point I'm making is this. God is faithful. When he says something, it will happen. Regardless of how long it takes, it will happen. What has he said concerning your life? What prophetic words have you have you received from him? Or perhaps as a church, what have you received? What has he said concerning this church? And what happened? It took 500 years for Jesus, the Messiah, to ride into Jerusalem in such a way to fulfill this prophecy. 500 years. But the Lord kept to his word to fulfill this prophecy. Isaiah also wrote this. God speaking through him. He says, His words will not return to Him void. But it will go and accomplish the purpose it was sent. Even if it seems like it has delayed, wait for it. It will come to pass. God is faithful. We can trust in Him. We can trust in His faithfulness. We can trust in His faithfulness. Also, this has a a broader implication as well, or application as well. Because you know what? Jesus spoke about the second coming, that he'll be coming again. Peter wrote about it. Paul wrote about it. John wrote about it. It's been how many years? 2,000 years? Right? And some people have forgotten. They feel like it's... You know, you'd even find some Christians that don't even want to think about it. They feel it's something in the distant future, something that has nothing really, you know, they like their Christian faith, but they don't think about that. It's it's nothing to do with us now. It's you know, or something about it as a fairy tale. Whilst you also have others that overthink about it, you know. But the point I'm making is this God is faithful, He has said this. Jesus has said it. Peter has confirmed he said it. Paul has said it. John has said it. It will happen. It will happen. He knows the end from the beginning. He's faithful to his word. When I was young, I had my dad preaching and one of the things he said was this. If, if, if this is blue, this, this obviously, the seat, that you have, is blue. And God says... That it is green. It will turn to green. Because he's truthful. What he says, it will happen. It will turn to green. What he says, will happen, will happen. And let's not forget that. That he's spoken about this. This word was given 500 years before that. And I can assure you, a lot of the Jews have forgotten. They thought it was probably not going to happen. And when it was happening, right before their eyes, even the Pharisees, couldn't read into it. Because he thought it's one of those things, you know, yeah, is it happening? Is it not happening? How many people ride on a donkey and stuff? He's trying to. But when you look at the text, right before their eyes, why the application? Jesus is coming again. It will happen. But personal application, what has he spoken concerning your life? He is faithful. He would accomplish it. What has, he, what has he said concerning this church? He is faithful. He would accomplish it. Put your trust and your confidence in him. Finally, I know I used God will provide. God is faithful. This one does not follow the same. Jesus identifies with the humble. <laughs> he does. I just wanted to point that out to you. It stood out to me as I was reading it. See, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he entered riding on a donkey. See, although riding on a donkey wasn't a symbol of humility, for a king, the one who spoke creation into being, through him, the one who sustains the universe by the word of his power, to come down in human flesh and to ride on a donkey, On such an important day. It's a sign of humility. Not just only humility. A sign of peace as well. When you read Zechariah's prophecy. It says that humble. Sitting on it. Humble. Jesus. His identity himself. The way that he carried himself. he He was humble. That's the king we serve. And he identifies with those who are humble. See, most of the people who followed him into Jerusalem, those who were putting their cloaks on the floor for him, they were the lowly people. It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the Sadducees. It wasn't those who were in key positions who thought of him as insignificant. It was those who were lowly, those who were humble. He identifies with them. See, Jesus loved walking with the humble. Jesus talked with them. Jesus hung around with them. And when he was entering Jerusalem, he entered in with them. They were the people who acknowledged him as king. And what does this mean for us? What it means is church That has no change. It hasn't changed. No proud person can look on Jesus and call him Lord and Savior. No one who is proud can do that. Every single believer had to come in humility, recognizing their wretchedness by God's grace and bowing their knee towards the cross, accepting by faith that which they couldn't do by themselves. They could not merit it. Every single believer. No one would say, oh, I I, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He's my buddy, he's my friend, you know. He sees me the same as well. No one who is a true believer feels as though they are co-equal. They come in humility, recognizing Him as Lord, but also knowing that through that they are then elevated to the place of a a son, to the place of a, a child of God. And this is very important. He identifies with the humble. Our Savior is humble. He calls us to be humble, not to look down on people. He spoke about the parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisee feeling as though he is better than, than this tax collector. And guess what? It was the tax collector who went unjustified. That's what the passage says. Humility moves God's heart. Let's look at the Bible in terms of the Old Testament examples. let's see what Peter says Peter says this God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble we talked about Zacchaeus earlier okay climbing on a tree waiting for Jesus to come by and you know what one of the reasons why I feel that Jesus went with him and looked past all of that was because when you talk about the passage says cheap tax collector this guy has money he's a rich man How many people do you know that are well to do would climb up a tree just to see some prophet or some teacher or you know some someone that they feel climb the tree? How many? That was a sign of humility. He put aside his pride, he knew that he just wanted to behold this man. And guess what? Because of that, Jesus looked at him. And said, calm down, I'm going to sit with you. And his heart was transformed, humility. We look at the Old Testament example. Saul, King Saul, what happened? When he sinned against God and the prophet Samuel came to him and said to him, what you have done is foolish, you have sinned against God. What did he say? He looked at him and said to him, You know, I know I've sinned, but you know what? Show honor. Show me some honor in front of these people. Respect me in front of them. I know I've sinned, but what's the big deal? Just show me some respect. And because of that, guess what? Not just because of that, but God put him aside because he was a man of pride. On the other hand, David killed a man for his wife. What a a grievous sin. When the prophet came to him and said to him, listen, you have sinned. He went on his knees, oh, I know I've sinned. Have mercy on me. Not only that, when the child was being afflicted, they said, this king laid aside his royal robes, laid there in sackcloth, fasting, praying, seeking the face of the Lord. Show mercy. And for that, even though he committed such a sin, the Lord still loved him, upheld his kingdom. It says that the Messiah would come from his lineage. Such a blessing, such an honor. I'm not saying that it's only because of humility. What what I just want to point out to you is that humility is essential. It's important. It is important. And church, Jesus identifies with the lowly. He associates with the humble. He honors and lifts them up. And church, our king is humble. And therefore, we also ought to be humble. So today, I just want to encourage you, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, and remember the way that Jesus entered into Jerusalem and fulfilled that prophecy. Let us also remember this. If you need provision from him, he is a God who provides. Remember that. He's a God who provides. In due time, in due season, at the appointed time, He provides. Put your confidence and your trust in Him. Remember that. He's a God who has called us to be bold and courageous. If you get that prompting from the Spirit and you just want to confirm it, confirm it, but try and act on it. I'm speaking to myself here as well. Bold and courageous. And through that, you would experience a blessing from him. You would see that which he has called you to do. Right? You would see fruits from that. Remember also that he is faithful. He is faithful. To that which he has said, his plans and his purposes, he will see it through. He's faithful. What word has he given to you? What word have you carried for a very long time? He is faithful. Remember, he associates with the humble. He will lift the humble up. He's a God who loves those who are humble. He loves us all, but those who show humility, not just to him, but actually to other people as well. Jesus associates with them. He's a friend of them. He's friends with them. Shall we pray?